Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here. I am solo today, and I'm going to be going in to the Knicks 108 to 93 loss to the Utah Jazz. How it all went wrong, despite the Knicks having a pretty good comeback attempt uh, late in the fourth quarter, thanks to some Tibbs sub patterns. Why Julius Randle might just be punching his ticket out of town right now. And I end off giving some thoughts on the. I think fantastic first weekend of the NCAA tournament players. I like things I'm looking for and all that good stuff going forward next on locked on Knicks. You are locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And I want to thank you all for making Locked On Knicks your first listen every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or checking us out on YouTube or in case today just checking me out on youtube just me uh we appreciate you guys so much making us part of your daily routine i am alex wolf i'm editor-in-chief of nick's site the strickland which you can find at the strick.land and i am as i said breaking down this lovely 108 to 93 uh nick's loss to the jazz at home and look this game was pretty winnable quite frankly uh the knicks were Sort of in it, you know, they were were holding tight, you know, they were actually up by five after the first quarter, thanks to a really hot scoring quarter for Evan Fournier. And, you know, they, of course, they kind of seeded some ground back. The Jazz are really good. I mean, they're a legitimate, you know, Western Conference contender this year and pretty much every year. And, you know, they have two fantastic players, a multiple time defense player of the year, a multiple time all-star, you know, they've got the goods, they're ready to rock. And, but, you know, the Knicks were, they had some moments where they were looking pretty good and, and things were looking up. And then went down by as much as like 15, I think, in the, the third quarter. Things started to look like they were maybe getting a little out of hand. And, you know, it, was, it, it wasn't looking the best. But they were down 85-73 going into the fourth quarter. Then came out with a lineup of Emmanuel Quickly, Deuce McBride, Quentin Grimes, Obi Toppin, and Jericho Sims to start the fourth. And those guys, and eventually RJ came in for Deuce McBride, and Mitchell came in for Jericho Sims after Mitchell yet another injury scare. One every third game or so. But he managed, the Knicks managed to get the score to 93-89 with five minutes and 19 seconds left, and that was highlighted by this just amazing sequence with uh, Emmanuel Coppin, Emmanuel Quickly, Played great defense on the perimeter and eventually just goes straight up and down to, uh, you know, contest a shot and then, you know, gets the the rebound on the the quick outlet pass to him and just looks down the floor, guns it to Obi Toppin, perfect pass, like 
three quarters of the length of the court, probably. And Obi throws it down with two hands. The Knicks seem to be snatching the momentum. Things are looking great. And of course, Obi for Julius Randle, quickly for Fournier. Eventually, Alec Burks would make his way back in there as well, or perhaps he even did before that particular moment. But of course, there, things just fell apart. Julius Randle was having a terrible game, which I'll get more into him in the second segment, uh, as he quite frankly made an embarrassment of himself in this game, not just thanks to his play on the floor, but thanks to other things. But, you know, Tibbs just basically refused to read the room for the millionth time this season and subbed out quickly, who was playing fantastic. I mean, quickly ended up with 16 points, four rebounds, four assists in just 23 minutes. And I guess like, quote unquote, two Tibbs is credit. He did put quickly back in with remaining, but the Knicks were already at that point back down by 10, you know, that nice little four point deficit that they had managed to create already over the course of like a minute had turned into 10 and the jazz, you know, found themselves back in the driver's seat and ready to just kind of, you know, win this game because that's what good teams do. And, you know, it's just, I already mentioned quickly's, Quickly stat line, uh, the Jazz, by the way, finished on a 15-4 to run to win the game, if that wasn't clear from the the final score there. But Obi Toppin as well, nine points, a steal and a block in 13 minutes. Deuce McBride only gets three minutes in total time in this game. Quentin Grimes didn't really register any stats, but played really great D in 14 minutes, I thought. Um, you know, he's still obviously working his way back, but... It wasn't like for it was just sort of for lack of getting opportunities. He didn't really have that many like good looks from three or anything like that, which would sort of be his bread and butter that he would go to. Uh, but he played great defense. He was a huge part of why the Knicks were able to to break into that uh, Utah lead and sort of start chipping away and, and get it down to four like that. And, you know, meanwhile, you have Julius Randle ends the game with 35 minutes, played horrendous D to the point where. Clyde was even like calling him out on the broadcast and Clyde normally, I mean, he's, he's objective, but he normally doesn't really go out of his way to like really call guys out. But Randall, there was a few times where he just was not doing anything on defense and uh, you know, it it really was detrimental to the Knicks. Uh, He shot six of 21 for 13 points. He had zero free throw attempts. And honestly, in my opinion, didn't have anything close to a respectable attempt in the middle. His strategy, again, which I'll get to in a minute in the next segment when I talk about some of the extracurriculars that happened during this game, was basically just to get into the middle and try to challenge Rudy Gobert, but not in any sort of creative way, and just got sent packing time after time and was not doing anything really to draw fouls. Maybe part of why he wound up being so frustrated was that he wasn't getting foul calls. I don't know. But to me, and I mean, this is as a Knicks fan that would have loved to have seen him get foul calls if he deserved them. I don't think he was doing anything to deserve foul calls. He was just uninspiredly trying to bully his way through maybe the best interior defender in the entire NBA. And it made zero sense. It was like the definition of insanity, trying the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Um, and then you had uh, Alec Burks, 10 points on three of nine shooting. He winds up with 34 minutes, again, compared to Quickly's 23 minutes, uh, who is a much more in fact, impactful player in the game. And yes, R.J. Barrett wound up with 40-plus minutes. 
had a pretty good game, 24 points, 8 of 20 shooting. He did shoot 50% from three, which was great. Um, and, you know, Evan Fournier played 28 minutes, and honestly, I thought he deserved it in this game. Like, he was hot to start the game. He kept kind of getting in foul trouble, which disrupted his rhythm a little bit and stuff like that. But he was playing pretty well. You know, I, I think that it made sense to put him in there. Like, he was a hot shooter in this game. I, I forget exactly what he shot. I can look real quick. But, you know, it was good. He was 6 of 13 overall, 5 of 10 from 3. You know, that's 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 the sort of stuff that, you know, you can't easily replace on this team. At any rate, though, uh, yeah, it, you know, I thought it was a, a good game by Fournier. So I don't really have any, you know, bombs with him getting minutes. But the just the Randall and Burks minutes, just, I mean, I'm sorry, it's got to stop. Like, I don't understand what tips at this point. You know, it even seems like he's regressing from the beginning of the season. I mean, I can remember earlier in the season, Tibbs would ride a bench unit, you know, through the end of the game if they were playing well. And, you know, a few games where thanks to that, the Knicks sort of collapsed down the stretch. Uh, but sometimes you'll just take it, you know, it's like, I'd rather let the hot hands keep going. And, you know, it's sort of on Tibbs that he puts these guys in positions where they might potentially have to play 15 straight minutes. You know, it would have made more sense to take quickly out. If you wanted to give them like a quick rest, take them out before the most critical juncture of the game, you know, and and then let him come back in with still some time to work and actually recover the game rather than putting him back in with like three minutes to go and just saying, all right, go for it. You know, it's just his rotation decisions don't make any sense. He's not even doing the things he did earlier in the year when he would really let guys cook. And, you know, leave these younger units out there. Leave Obi Toppin out there to close a game if he's playing better than Julius Randle. Leave, you know, quickly out there if he's playing better than Burks or at, earlier in the season it was Kemba, you know, whatever. Leave Quentin Grimes out there to close games, you know, if he's playing well. And it's just completely gone out the window these last few games again. And it sort of feels like, you know, things were sort of shifting. And then Randle had those. And it's very reminiscent of like when he was forced to play Kemba again, Kemba had a few great games and then that led to Tibbs starting Kemba again, even though it was one of the worst starting lineups in the league for like another 20 games after that, just because I guess Kemba earned it by having like two good games. It just doesn't make any sense. I'm really getting tired of Tibbs. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse and I apologize for that as the person that's doing this podcast every day, but something's got to change. And, you know, I didn't get a chance to react to the news the other day about the report coming out from Jake Fisher that, you know, Tibbs is going to be retained presumably, but I think that's a huge mistake and it's going to continue being a huge mistake. And it's, it's not just that he's making decisions that are losing the Knicks basketball games. It's that he's making decisions that are losing the Knicks basketball games because he's not playing the younger players more who play better than the guys that are like his favorites. And that's really annoying and it's not fair. And it, and it completely undermines Tibbs' stated philosophy of this being like a meritocracy where you have to earn what you get or whatever. It's just, he consistently proves that he doesn't practice what he preaches pretty much every single game, but teased enough. Uh, it, there is, there was a little extracurriculars with Julius Randall and Rudy Gobert that I'm going to get into in the next segment before getting to, more happy things, the NCAA tournament, which I had a great time watching all weekend. So uh, I'll be talking about that. But uh, first, I have to let everybody know that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. And 
you guys know the drill. Like built bars are the best tasting protein bar out there. They have some of the best flavors. They're all covered in 100% chocolate. And one of my favorites lately has been puffs, built puffs. They are like literally a protein infused marshmallow and they're low in sugar. And I don't know how that's possible because it reminds me a lot of eating like a Malamar or something, you know, like one of those like marshmallow candy bars. And yet it's, it's totally the case. Like they are, it's a protein infused marshmallow that is not going to kill you with all the sugar and the fat and everything else that a real marshmallow would. And it's going to give you probably like 17 grams of protein in each bar, which is absolutely insane. Uh, there's so many great flavors of puffs. There's cinnamon churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie. They're all fantastic. They're probably going to be some of your favorite flavors. I know the churro and coconut marshmallow are staples in my built bar rotation. And, you know, like I said, built bars, only 130 calories, four grams of sugar and four grams of net carbs with 17 grams of protein per bar. Perfect for recovering after a workout and, you know, for giving yourself what feels like a treat, but actually it's just a protein packed. And well, it's still a treat. It's protein packed and it doesn't have a lot of sugar. It's still a treat, but you don't have to deal with all the guilt of eating a real candy bar. So go to built.com and use promo code lock 15 and you can get 15% off your order. If you decide to get some for yourself again, use promo code lock 15 for 15% off at built.com. And all right. So I am back in here talking about this Knicks loss and now I'm on to Julius Randle. And this is the part that's like the most annoying to talk about, right? Like, so basically here's the, here's the drill. So Julius Randle was getting chippy with Rudy Gobert, like pretty much all game. They were kind of fighting for post position. And, you know, it seemed like Randle was upset that he thought Gobert was getting away with some stuff or whatever. Eventually it sort of culminates with at one point Randall, I forget play was, but he wound up like swinging an elbow real close to Gobert's face and he got away with it. They didn't hit him with a flagrant or anything, but he like swung an elbow real close to Gobert's face. Then that creates a little back and forth. Gobert fouls him like one or two times more down the court. Then it was like, just sort of like a push in the back sort of foul. Randall sort of took exception to that, whatever it starts getting towards the end of the game. Things are, you know, whatever things get heated in the middle of the game. If you're ever going to get heated in a basketball game. And I mean, I don't think that you ever should, but it happens. It's, it's, you know, it's emotional. You're trying to win and everything. And the, the competitiveness takes over fine. But when you hit towards the end of the game, like the Knicks blew it, they blew this game period. It was, it was done. And, you know, they were down by 15 with like two seconds left to go. And that was it. And Randall and Gobert found themselves under the hoop as the, you know, the final seconds are ticking off here. And bear in mind, Randall came in, as I said in the last segment, and basically like he and the starters basically crapped this game away. And they were the main reason that the game like fell apart. And he, <laughs> for whatever, Gobert sort of like goes to put his arm around Randall and it looked like he was saying something to the effect of like, hey, man, like, it's all good. You know, like, we're good. Water under the bridge, whatever. And Randall, like, pushes him away and, like, sort of lashed out a little bit, like, swung his arm at him a little bit to, like, sort of, like, be like get off of me or whatever. And then proceeds to, like, 
start like jawing at him and then, you know, acts like he wants to like charge him or something. And I, you know, Gobert the whole time is kind of just standing there like with his palms out. Like, I don't, I don't understand what happened here. Like I was just trying to like sort of <laughs> just say like, Hey, no hard feelings. I know we had a tough game, but like good game, which is what happens after literally every NBA game, these guys all go and they dap each other up and, you know, say their pleasantries and then go about their days. Right. You know, there's very few games where things actually get that heated. Normally it's reserved for like a game that was actually competitive. Unlike this game, which fell apart down the stretch. And for the last like five minutes was basically, you know, all jazz. And all Donovan Mitchell, like if Randall was going to get really pissed at someone, get pissed at the guy that drove dagger after dagger into your, you know, <laughs> like lighthearted, non-caring defense for the last like five minutes. But, you know, so then, it, it, you know, Randall ends up getting getting held back by like R.J. Barrett, which again is hilarious because R.J. Barrett's supposed to be the younger guy on the team. Randall's supposed to be the vet that knows better. And yet RJ consistently finds himself in these situations where he's the one trying to calm his veteran down. Uh, then Randall, you know, as he's throwing his little tantrum going off the court, Obi happened to be walking by him and tried to just sort of like give him like a, a little like low five on the way by just to be like, Hey, it's all good. And Randall like shoved his arm away on camera and just like stormed back to the locker room. And then Randall got asked afterwards what happened there. And he, basically lied about it i mean i there were literal cameras that showed what was going on and randall and gobert were like totally alone and then randall to hear it afterwards goes i was trying to have a conversation with the ref and then he came up behind me and it like caught me off guard so i like slapped his arm away or whatever and it's like dude there's literally cameras there like you understand you're on camera right like none of that actually happened so i just i mean for once i'll say that I, I think there's a little too much belly aching over the Knicks policies with the media and stuff. And, you know, like, oh, like, you know, if we hear from Leon Rose, it's going to suddenly like change anything. I don't think that that ever, it, you know, bears any fruit to me. Like, I don't think that we need to hear from the president of basketball operations often. Uh, you know, I, I didn't have a huge problem with if Julius was kind of like going through stuff earlier this year, like to kind of keep him away from the media and the Knicks paid his fines and all that stuff. Fine. But I actually give him props for making him come out and talk after that one. Cause it was just an embarrassment. You know, I, I think that's all that you can really call it at this point. And it just kind of adds to a lot of different incidents with Randall this year that just, it's so bizarre. Like there was the thumbs down thing, which at the time I didn't think was a huge deal, but now you compound it with all these other things and it just makes you start to think like what's going on with this guy, you know? And there was, He's, he's been like extra combative with reporters, you know, like, again, I, I don't have a huge problem with that. I mean, like there's, there was some comedy in the, like who reported at Berman thing, but the fact remains, he's been very testy this whole year after generally being pretty, you know, pretty jovial last year, which probably has something to do with how the team's playing. But also, I mean, he's supposed to be like sort of the leader of this team, which goes beyond just doing stuff on the court, but even on the court, you know, his body language has been terrible. His defensive effort has been terrible most of the time after he was one of the best defenders on the team last year consistently. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, and, you know, this isn't even the first time he's tried to, like, pick a fight this year. So I, I guess my my grand conclusion is just, like, this year has been such a fall from grace for Julius Randle. I really I couldn't tell you why. I don't know if we'll ever know why. You know, it's, it's like how this guy went from – 
so and maybe it's a contract year thing. You know, maybe it's that the Knicks rewarded him too early by giving him that extension, and now he's not motivated anymore. I guess I don't know. That wouldn't be the first time in basketball history that happened. Or maybe there's something going on with him at home, or just in his personal life that's spilling over onto the court. I, I don't know. I don't want to speculate. You know, because that's his business. But what I what I can judge is what happens on the court and what happens in the immediate aftermath of games and what happens, you know, in the in, in like his interview sessions and everything else. And something has changed with him this year. And I, I'm kind of just at this point where, you know, I hope he either figures this stuff out this offseason and gets everything together or you know, if he's not going to be committed to doing that, I hope that the Knicks keep an open mind about potentially moving him. And I know that I was all aboard the trade Randall train it at the deadline this year. He started playing better and started seeming more happy and everything for a little bit there. And I started to think, okay, maybe this is salvageable. Maybe he was stressed out about trade rumors or whatever. You know, maybe that's all it was. And maybe he's okay now. And now he seems to just kind of be slipping right back into the same state of mind and state of play. And so I, I just hope that since we're seeing RJ Barrett really take a next step and look like he could potentially be, you know, the top guy on this team, we're seeing Emmanuel quickly start to look like he's ready to step into a bigger role. Hopefully we see Obi Toppin, I think looking like he's ready to step into a bigger role. You know, I hope the Knicks keep an open mind about trading Julius Randle this offseason because if they can't get some sort of commitment that he's going to be more 2021 going forward than 21-22, then they're basically just wasting everyone's time by keeping him around because he's not going to affect the team in a positive way. And especially if they're committed to keeping Tibbs around, Tibbs is going to continue playing him no matter how he's playing him and what he's doing. But anyway, I, I don't want to go on about Randall too long. I do want to talk about the NCAA tournament, though, which I'm very excited to do. Because I thought it was a great time this weekend, uh, and I thought that you know it was some of the better, one of the better first weekends that there's been in a while. A lot of intriguing storylines, a lot of good stuff going on. So I'll talk about that next. But I do want to let everybody know that if you want to bet on the NCAA tournament, it's that time of year again. The tournament is upon us, and you can get all the latest odds, contests, and player props at BetOnline.net. They're the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And let me tell you guys, I started looking at early lines for next week. One that stands out to me, I mean, go hammer this if you feel inclined to like I do. Uh, Duke versus Texas Tech. Duke, again, the two seed. Texas Tech, the three seed. Duke looking pretty good so far. I mean, maybe not as dominant as you might want with the amount of like star power on their team, but Still pretty pretty darn good, and Texas Tech also looked good, but you know they had a they had a scare in the second round. Duke is a, a currently the underdog via BetOnline.net. Uh, they are a plus one uh, in the you know if if you want to bet them against the spread or just a plus one hundred five uh, in the money line straight up. I'm like, dude, that's an easy bet to me. I think I, I mean I'm betting on Duke. I know that they've had their issues sometimes getting over the hump in the tournament, whatever, but. They got a lot of talent, which I'll be talking about in a second. That's what I'm looking at for sure as a potential bet to make there. And it's not just basketball and bet online either. Bet online is your continued source for all your sport sport wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and act. Bet online, 
where the game starts. And I just thought I'd I'd quickly uh, pump up to the NHL trade deadline coming up this week. And on NHL channel is doing something crazy. They're going to have every single channel go live from 3 to 3.30 p.m. on YouTube going over you know, every single team at once over the NHL trade deadline and analyzing what's going on with their team. So if you're a Rangers fan, if you're a Devils fan, if you're an Islanders fan, you know, whatever, or if you just want to keep up with a little bit of everything, there's going to be individual broadcasts going on for every single locked-on NHL team plus a national show as well. So we got you covered. If, if any of you guys are crossover basketball hockey fans, I literally can do anything about hockey right now. But if any of you are, definitely check out Locked on NHL over the NHL trade deadline this coming week. It's going to be awesome. But let me get into the stuff that I've been waiting to get into. The more fun stuff, the NCAA tournament. And look, I'm very upfront about the fact that I don't I don't really watch college basketball during the year much. I will hit up some YouTube highlights. I will occasionally catch a game if it just happens to catch my eye and I'm like channel surfing. Uh, but I'm not really going out of my way to watch college basketball during the next season because I got to watch enough with watching the Knicks and I usually watch more like NBA in my free time. So a lot of this stuff, some of you that have been into college basketball, you might be like, duh, like, yeah, obviously this this is the takeaways you should be having. But a lot of this is brand new for me. So if you were like me and this was some of your first like real NCAA action this year, then maybe you could sympathize a little bit with some of this segment. But my first thing, gotta shout out St. Peter's for New Jersey, man. I, it, I I know it's I think I bring it up somewhat often on here, but I'm I'm a Jersey guy, born and raised. You know, I was I've I've always been in New Jersey my whole life. I love New York to death too. Obviously, I love the Knicks. I love the city, but New Jersey's my home state. So I always root for the Jersey kids and the you know the Jersey uh lineage and and especially a Jersey underdog in a tournament. Forget about it. Obviously, St. Peter's huge upset over Kentucky in game one. And then they go through and get to the Sweet 16. Their second game I thought was brilliant. I thought they played just like a great brand of basketball. Uh, shout out to them for that. And obviously, Doug Eddard got like all the headlines because he's like the goofy looking kid with the mustache and whatever. And apparently like his uncle like works for CBS and they kept showing that. That was kind of funny. But like, dude, I, I'm all about Casey and Defo. Like, like I'm not going to front like, I knew who he was prior to this weekend or who like any of these dudes were. Uh, I just sort of latched onto the story as a New Jersey guy, but and Defo is, is good, man. I, I like his game a lot. And like, he's a senior and he's not particularly huge or anything. You know what I mean? So I, I think it's a long shot for him to, he's that de I definitely don't feel like he's going to get drafted, but I do hope that maybe he gets like a G league or maybe a two way look in the NBA after this, because I, that kid is a beast. I mean, he's not just like a pretty good scorer and really good at getting to the inside, but his defensive numbers are like eye popping. And I mean, I know that he plays in it's like the the Mid Atlantic Conference or whatever, you know, the MAC. Like, all right, fine, you know, it's not like a power conference or something. So take it for what you will, I guess. But like two point eight blocks and one point two steals as a six seven kid. No joke, man. I, I I like what he does a lot. I think his timing is fantastic. I think he's a good enough athlete, and he's certainly strong enough to, to sort of hold his own uh, versus some of the the bigger, better players, as you saw, obviously, against like Kentucky. So 
I, I mean, I liked him a lot. Um, it reminds me a lot of two of my favorites that one of which I'm still to this day, like super vocal about, but there were two guys in the 2019 draft that were very much like that to me. And obviously higher level players, like way more sure things as far as the NBA, but like Matisse Thibel and Brandon Clark were very similar in the sense that they had like four stocks per game between them. And that's what, you know, Indefo is putting up. And so, I, I mean, I don't know. I just don't think that you could put up those level of defensive stats and look as good as he did in these two games without having at least like a, a puncher's chance and maybe maybe going for like a G League spot or a, a two-way contract. But I'll move to sort of bigger things than just the Jersey stuff. But New Jersey stand up. I love, I love St. Peter's. I love that story. I, I'm going to be rooting them the rest of the way. They're definitely my team like for the rest of this thing, um, which is unfortunate because I'm going to have to root against Jaden Ivey <laughs> in the next round. Uh, as St. Peter's faces Purdue and Ivy is definitely still like my, my number one most wanted prospect that would be somewhat realistic. You know, like if the Knicks could jump to like number four or something. Uh, but I do got to shout out Benedict Matherin, man. Like the last thing I did before uh, recording this podcast was watch the Arizona TCU game and Matherin. I hadn't watched a ton of him. I kept hearing about him. You know, we just had Prez on last week talking about the Knicks, but obviously he's a huge draft guy and he's mentioned Matherin to me a few times. And, you know, I've been like, oh, I'm intrigued. You know, I like the, I like what I've read about him, whatever. I watched a little bit of highlights and I was like, yeah, he seems pretty good. Watching this game, I mean, just took over the game. I mean, I'm starting to think the Knicks won't be, (laughs) they definitely won't be bad enough or lucky enough to get, Jaden Ivey, I'm starting to think if Matherin keeps playing this well, they're not going to be bad enough or lucky enough to get Matherin either. But I want to at least keep the pipe dream alive. I mean, I think he's my guy. If the Knicks hold somewhere in this like 9 to 11 range in the the draft lottery, and that's where they wind up picking, if Matherin's there, I would take him in a heartbeat. I mean, just he's got strength, explosiveness, scoring, you know, defense, really great rebounding in this game. Like the offensive rebounding was off the charts, literally won the game for Arizona with his offensive rebounding because uh, he hit just on two key, key possessions late, grabbed one, you know, sort of like weak side offensive rebound and put it right back up uncontested, you know, nothing going on there. But the second one was in a crowd. And I mean, there were some big boys in this game and he was just in a crowd in the middle of the paint grabbed this board, wrestled it away, and then put up a strong finish for an N1. And it was just insane. It was it was a huge performance for him. I, I absolutely loved watching it. I could totally see him being a great pick for the Knicks. And he's a sophomore, but he's a very young sophomore. So I'm all about it. I mean, I think I think this draft, you know, being like him, Johnny Davis, and Ivy, I think those are three really, really great shooting guard prospects. And I think that this draft is getting a little underrated so far as far as uh, how people are looking at it as like a, a weaker draft class or whatever. Uh, some other guys that interested me, uh, Chet Holmgren, I mean, probably going to be number one pick or at least top three. You know, it'll be between him, Jabari Smith, and Paolo Benchero. And, you know, but I, I hadn't, I've watched him some, but, you know, I, I really wanted to see this matchup with Jalen Duren of Memphis and to sort of gauge both of them. And I came away way more bullish on, Chet than I was on Duran. I thought Duran struggled a bit with, you know, with foul trouble, knowing when to gamble, you know, against Holmgren and against Timmy on Gonzaga, who like Timmy's not an NBA caliber athlete, but he's got NBA caliber savvy. And I think Duran fell for that a lot. And, 
you know, I think that I, I think Dern had his moments, but you know, I've certainly thought, and I've heard some other people say, like, oh, like, you know, if the Knicks end up like number 10 and you think Dern's gonna be available there, maybe that influences your decision to let go of Mitch or not. And like I'm gonna say right now, like if your plan is to start Dern next year, it, it's gonna be a learning experience, I think. Like he's definitely I mean, he's really young. He's clearly very talented and like a perfect physical specimen for the center spot, but he's got a lot to adjust and he's going to have to take some time to get seasoned in the NBA, probably like two seasons or so, uh, at least based off what I've seen. And he's had some good games, but like this game I think was pretty telling based off the the caliber competition and how good the front line was for Gonzaga. But Dur- or Holmgren, I thought, played really well. You know, I, I think the length is going to win out for him over the the skinniness and he'll be okay, you know, in the NBA. I, I, I think that, his level of talent, you know, like you just got to roll with it, you know, like put him out there as like a four at first. Cause I think he can keep up with fours and his length will be crazy. Like if the Knicks luck out and they get the number one pick, like I was just talking about trade Randall, trade Randall, throw Holmgren and, and Mitch out there. Nobody's scoring anything. Holmgren can legitimately space the floor. He can legitimately dribble. He can legitimately pass out of the four spot. I mean, he's not going to play like a wing like Randall does, but he's going to play like a four. Like more like what you expect out of a four, and I, I think he's gonna be great. I I would totally love if the Knicks managed to jump up to number one. Uh, it would just be kind of hilarious if you know, like this is supposed to be a weak draft. If this was the draft, the Knicks finally got number one. But I like him a lot as a prospect. Uh, Paolo Benchero too. I watched him some, uh, particularly in Duke's second game. I mean, he's really good. He's he's clearly a very good scorer. He's got really elite footwork. I really like him a lot. Uh, I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with him. Uh, <laughs> I got to shout out Eddie Lampkin on TCU. Uh, he is a big boy. I, I don't know what his NBA prospects are at all. I don't think they're very high, but that dude was hilarious. Like he was doing the too small thing, like consistently down. The- annihilating Arizona. Admittedly. Uh, they didn't ultimately win the game, but shout out to Eddie Lampkin. He was very fun. Uh, and then last guy I'll throw out there, uh, Hunter Dickinson on Michigan. He's intriguing to me. I might have to like get Schwinn on here or Stacy maybe Stacy Patton and and see what they think of him because they're both Michigan fans. But he definitely intrigues me. Like even if the Knicks keep Mitch, like I would love to get someone like him who's like a a good rebounder. You know, has good touch around the inside. Uh, you know, is a shooter. You know, like he can at the very least shoot from the elbow. It seems like he's probably got range out to three though. That's developing right now. Uh, he's a guy who's like a backup center, you know, someone to throw out there for a change of pace. He might not be like a rim protector, very untibsy, quite frankly, very un Walt Perrin like too, as far as what Perrin usually goes for. But I like him a lot. Um, you know, I, I, I think I would like to give him a look if he declares for the draft. Um, and if the Knicks were able to secure him with like a second round pick or something, they would definitely be a worthy gamble to take. I think he's going to be a really good utility big in the NBA that can sort of you know, a little bit of floor stretching, good rebounding, good finishing on the inside. I think, I think it'll be solid there, but just in general, I just want to like shout out the NCAA tournament. Like I thought it was awesome. It was really competitive this first weekend. I had a great time watching it. Um, I can't wait for the second weekend. Again. And I, I like that. There's just like so much parody this year in the NCAA. It seemed like there were very few games that were like stinkers where, you know, teams were getting super blown out or whatever. So I'm very happy to see that. Very happy for some fun competitive basketball in my life after watching the Knicks so much. So 
anyway, I'm going to wrap up this show. Uh, but thank you all for listening. And we'll be back with some more episodes this week. Speaking of March Madness, we might have a guest that is going to talk about that. Someone that we haven't had on for a little while that is one of our favorite draft guys. So we have someone coming on for a little later in this week uh, before the second round of games start, though. I'll just tease it. It's probably going to come out Wednesday. Uh, but I won't spoil who it is. So I'll let it be surprised. But keep your ears out for that. Uh, until next time, though, thank you all for listening. And I'll talk to you all soon. Peace out.